Snoochie Boochies, it's time to get down Wolverine style on this episode of Cactus Flags. Greetings, users and programs, and welcome to episode 13 of Cactus Flax Podcast, the show in which I will be discussing all of the arcade cabinets I actually owned. I'm your host, Rob Flack O'Hara, and on today's show, I will be covering X-Men, which was released in 1992 by Konami. As always, we'll kick the show off with a review of the game, followed by my memories of the X-Men arcade cabinet I actually owned. X-Men is a scrolling fighter, as described on KLOV, the killer list of video games. The object of the game is essentially to defeat Magneto and his minions from taking over the world while saving Professor X in the process. Uh, there are three different styles of cabinets for this game. Actually, I believe there's four. I believe there's a tabletop version as well, along with uh, a two-player version, a four-player version, and the massive six-player version. Now, the two-player version looks essentially like any other two-player arcade cabinet. The four-player is wider uh, and looks more shaped like a gauntlet cabinet with a control panel that extends past the sides of the cabinet itself. And then there is the massive six-player version of this game, uh, which supports six simultaneous players and has two side-by-side monitors. Now, spoiler, uh, there aren't actually two side-by-side monitors. Uh, there is a monitor on the left-hand side, and the monitor on the right is actually down inside the cabinet being reflected off of a mirror, which gives the illusion of having two monitors side by side for players. Now, on the control panel, each player, whether it's the two, four, or six player version of the game, has a joystick and then three buttons per player. And those buttons map to jump, attack, and mutant power. These are the uh, X-Men, and they have special mutant powers that they can use while they are fighting bad guys. Uh, on the four-player cabinet that I owned, each joystick had a different colored ball on top of the joystick, which were blue, red, yellow, and purple. Uh, when you are playing X-Men, you can choose one of six X-Men. So unlike the original Gauntlet, the characters are not locked into a specific position or a physical position on the control panel. You can choose any of the following six X-Men, which included Wolverine, Storm, Colossus, Cyclops, Nightcrawler, or Dazzler. Uh, again, no matter where you are physically standing in front of the cabinet, once you have put your tokens in, you can choose any of those characters to play. Uh, 
One of the selling points of this game was that you fought actual enemies that appeared in the comics and the TV show. So there was definitely a tie-in. It wasn't no-name enemies. You actually fought people like Mystique and the Blob and Juggernaut and Nimrod from uh, the cartoons and the comics. Uh, The cabinet is a little bit wider. The four-player cabinet that I owned was a little bit wider uh, than a normal cabinet. The background color on the sides is purple uh, with large graphics that go from the ground all the way up to the top that show all of the different X-Men and some of the enemies that you will face we also get the phrase X-Men in yellow with red lettering behind there. And the color and the appearance of the artwork and the coloring itself lends this uh, to a comic book style. Everything uh, that's tied in with the theme of this game lets you know that this is a comic book essentially come to life right here uh, in an arcade machine. Now, underneath the hood, the PCB or the print and control board uh, for X-Men is a what's called a JAMA Plus board. That means it does hook up to a normal JAMA harness, but the Plus is a secondary harness, sometimes called a kick harness, uh, for the additional controller. So a normal JAMA harness would only support uh, two players with joysticks and three buttons per player. So for a two-player Uh, I I suppose you could say a two-player version of X-Men is a JAMA board, but the four and six-player are a JAMA Plus. So you have to have an additional harness to run uh, players three through six. One of my favorite things about this game is the introduction, the uh, attract mode screen, if you will, where the game is just sitting there. Uh, You can see different parts of the game. Once you put coins in, the game starts off almost like a real-life cartoon animated television show. There are cutscenes. You get a bit of a backstory as to what's going on. Uh, when I had my home arcade, this was one of my favorite games to leave on and running because it's just uh, really the attract mode again, the, the colors and the sounds. Uh, they did a great job. Konami did a great job of making you want to pay attention to this cabinet and to come play this game. In the 21st century, evil mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. Humans can do nothing against the power of the evil mutant. The only hope is the X-Men. So for those who have never played one, and I can't imagine there are too many of you all out there, this is a side-scrolling beat-em-up fighting game. Uh, these types of games put you up against wave after wave of bad guys, uh, and you're tokens, the physical amount of money that you put in will buy you additional lives. And so uh, the way to get further in the game, if you're not very good, is to continue pumping coins into the game and rebuying into the game. So as long as one of the X-Men that are playing are still alive, you can continue the game and continue to advance until you eventually beat the game. The graphics on this game 
look almost like the cartoon itself. Each character, each X-Men that you play or X-Man that you play, I suppose, um, looks and sounds like the actual characters from the comics and the TV shows. Uh, this game has great sound effects while people are fighting. One of my favorite things is the music, which has a normal tempo throughout the levels. But as you get closer towards the end, when you have big boss battles, the music speeds up. It becomes more frantic. Um, it's almost there are parts where the drum beats almost sound like heartbeats. And it just really ties into this whole theme that some exciting is happening and you're a part of it. Now, one of the reasons why the X-Men arcade game was so popular uh, was because it was not released for any console. Now, there were X-Men games released for different consoles, but not this specific game. There was a Commodore 64 version of the X-Men. There was an X-Men game on the Sega Genesis. Lots of systems, uh, home computers and home video game consoles had X-Men games, but they weren't this specific game. So that's something that kept people going back to the arcade to play this game. This game wasn't officially released on any home console until 2010, when it was finally released as a digital download for the Xbox 360 and the PlayStation 3. Now, how popular was this game in arcades? Uh, in 1992, in Japan, this game appeared on their top 10 list of arcade games twice. It appeared in the number three position and the number seven position because they had different positions for the different types of cabinets. So in, uh, again, in Japan, on their list of top 10 machines, uh, top 10 performing sh uh, machines in 1992, X-Men appeared twice. Uh, in the U.S., we had the replay charts, and the deluxe X-Men arcade cabinet was the top-grossing arcade cabinet for six months in 1992. Uh, at the end of the year, X-Men was in the top five grossing cabinets of 1992, and in 2004, GameSpot added it to their list of their greatest games of all time. There's no denying that the X-Men arcade cabinet was very, very popular. Now, sometimes when you own an arcade cabinet, especially a cabinet that has licensed characters, people ask you what your connection to that license is. They would ask me, did I love the X-Men? Did I love X-Men comics? Did I love the X-Men TV show? Uh, and the reality is no. I had no prior history with the X-Men before owning this arcade cabinet. The X-Men cartoon launched in 1992. Now, I graduated high school in 1991. And so uh, from 91 to 93, I had my head down in college books. I wasn't 
really going to arcades. I definitely wasn't watching uh, new cartoons that would have been for you know children or, or possibly teenagers. So I really had no exposure to the X-Men. I would say my first exposure to the X-Men was this arcade game. And my second exposure were the X-Men movies that came out many years later. So I was not tied into uh, the comic. I'm, I was never a comic book kid. I never owned a comic book. So I was never tied into X-Men as far as comic books went. And I never saw the cartoon. So again, this was really my introduction uh, to the X-Men. Now, as I mentioned, I owned the four-player cabinet, uh, and it was put out by Konami, but this was not the only Konami four-player cabinet. They're uh, very well known for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the four-player game, uh, which I would probably choose over this cabinet. They were also known for The Simpsons, which I would probably choose over this cabinet, just because I'm more familiar with those licenses and like those licenses uh, a little better. And then they also put out Sunset Riders, which uh, I actually owned a four-player Sunset Rider. So all of these games are essentially interchangeable. You can pull the uh, PCB from one and, and swap it into the other. Uh, they had some other four-player games like Main Event, Bucky O'Hare, which I owned a three-player uh, Bucky O'Hare. There's another one called Cowboys of Moo Mesa, which was not as popular, but is a fun game. Uh, there are lots of other uh, PCBs that are compatible with these uh, with these cabinets, like Captain America and the Avengers, uh, Crime Fighters is one, Vendetta is one. These are all similarly styled games. They're all multiple people, up to four people at a time, uh, and they're all side-scrolling, beat 'em up type games. So they're all they're all um, the same genre with different graphics and different moves uh, for the characters. Now, I purchased my cabinet, my X-Men cabinet, from an auction on February 14th, 2004, according to a blog post that is still out there on RobOHara.com. Actually, the blog post was posted on February 15th, um, and I, I, it says that I bought it the day before, so I know the date was February 14th, 2004. Uh, in the picture, I have my X-Men cabinet sitting next to my Neo Geo cabinet, so I purchased both of those uh, cabinets at the same arcade on the same day. Now, if you know anything about the current value of X-Men arcade cabinets, this next part will make you sick. I paid $50 for this cabinet in essentially like new condition. Uh, all the joysticks worked. All the buttons worked. The cabinet was in immaculate condition. No problems with the monitor. Even the marquee lit up. <laughs> I had a lot of cabinets where the marquee light had gone out, and this one was absolutely perfect. And again, I paid $50 for it. Now, I do have a very funny story about moving this game home, and that is uh, when I uh, went to move the game, it was so big and heavy that I decided instead of moving it, standing it up in the back of my pickup, I would push it over on its back uh, and transport it home laying down. Now, when I first started buying arcade games, I did that a few times. I would lay down cabinets and lay them down. But what I found is that 
these games are so old that a lot of people have done work on them and not everything has been screwed back down. So a couple of times that bit me, I would push something over, uh, and, uh, you know, come home and find out that the monitor had shifted or the PCB was laying on the back because nobody had, had screwed it back in. It was just leaning up against the wood or something like that. So, um, uh, so I, I tried as much as possible to move games in an upright position, but, uh, on this particular one, it was just so big and heavy. And, uh, I think I was by myself. So I decided to just push the cabinet over laying down in the back of my truck. And so when I did that, I, I, um, and there's a, a, a technique involved in this. First of all, you, uh, essentially move the cabinet, you know, up to the back of your truck <laughs> and you tilt it back, uh, to where the top part is in the, the back of your truck. And then you get on the other end and basically shove until it goes up in there. And so when I did that, I heard what sounded like glass smashing. And I just knew in my heart, I had just broken the monitor. I had seen this game working. I knew everything was working. And based on that sound, I, I thought that I had just broken the monitor. So uh, after that, I finished uh, putting tie-down straps over it, and I drove home. I was really heartbroken uh, that I had just done this on something I had just purchased. And when I got the machine home, I pulled it out of the bed, I stood it back up, and I could hear. Uh, but in my garage, it sounded a little bit different. It didn't sound like glass. Uh, it sounded light change. And so when I opened up the bottom of this arcade cabinet, it was filled. I mean, filled <laughs> with quarters. Um, this is like arcade selling one Oh one. When you sell an arcade cabinet, the very first thing you do is open the back. If you have the keys and, and this came with the keys, uh, open the back and make sure that uh, things are, are, you know, screwed down or mounted. So they're not going to shift around when you move it, but you look inside there to see if there's anything, any loose parts or a manual, you know, any, anything that would be like that. Uh, so I don't know who dropped the ball on this, but the quarter, there's a little plastic, uh, tub, a little container that once your coins go all the way through the system, they fall in this little plastic tub that you, uh, usually from the front, most machines have a, a second little area that you can unlock and you can pull this out and, and, uh, the, uh, uh, owner of the machine can retrieve the money from the arcade game that way. So that's literally the first thing you would do right before you sold a game is you would check it and make sure there wasn't any money in it. This thing was filled with quarters. And I don't, I didn't write down exactly how much money was in there, but I do remember this for a fact. I remember there was enough quarters in there that essentially it paid for the game. Uh, not essentially it did cover the price of the game. I want to say there was about $70 worth of quarters in there. And as I said, I paid $50 for the working cabinet. So I got this X-Men cabinet for free. Not only did I get it for free, I'm, they paid me $20 <laughs> in quarters uh, to take it. So that is uh, just a really fun memory that I have about this game. Now, I did have a update, a blog post that said I did repairs on this game in 2009. So this would have been five years after owning it. 
And it says that I replaced some of the leaf switches on some of the buttons, actually on five of the buttons. So uh, there are two types of switches that go underneath buttons and joysticks. There are the micro switches, which is a digital on off. And then there is a uh, analog like a leaf switch. So as uh, you press the button, it bends these little metal uh, contacts and when they make contact. So uh, if you've played a lot of arcade games, you can instantly feel the difference between these two types of buttons. Uh, and the problem with those leaf switches is that they wear out over time. The metal gets bent and they don't make as good of a contact. You have to press the button down really hard. And sometimes you can bend them back into place or sometimes uh, you just replace them. They're really inexpensive. And so uh, that's what I did in 2009 was replace the leaf switches. It's uh, if, if the uh, previous owner used those little uh, like quick uh, disconnect attachments for the electrical things, then it's not very difficult to do if they soldered them on, then sometimes it takes an extra few minutes to, uh, to replace those. But either way, it's not a, uh, a big replacement. Now, one of the big downsides of owning this, um, which isn't unlike any other game in which you can continue with quarters, is that you can play this game forever. In fact, I had this game set up right next to my gauntlet cabinet. And so uh, our the gauntlet joke that I used to always make, and, and uh, I'm sure I'll mention on the gauntlet episode, is that uh, in the arcade, Gauntlet was a game that you would play until you ran out of tokens. And then as an adult, when you own a gauntlet machine, Gauntlet is a game that you play until your back hurts and you get tired of playing. Uh, and X-Men was the same way. Uh, you know, I've, there were a few times where I had friends over and we would play the X-Men game and you know, with infinite amount of continues, I mean, you could just, when you would start the game, I would open up the control panel and put 50 credits on every person. And we would just continue, continue, you know, over and over to the point where um, it's almost like when there's no money involved in running into a, a group of enemies and just swinging like that can be uh, your strategy. And if you were, if you'd spent a quarter, that would not be your strategy. <laughs> your strategy would be to stay alive as long as possible. But uh, when, when you take, the actual cost of a quarter out of uh, the equation that it makes for a different gaming experience. So uh, that was the only downside to owning X-Men, but it was uh, um, a really fun game to own. I, I did enjoy playing it. I did sell this game during my great moving sale uh, when we left our last house and moved into this house. I sold it to a friend of mine named Drew, uh, Drew is one of the neatest, I'm going to call him a kid. I don't know how old Drew is. I, he might be 10 years younger than me, uh, maybe 15 younger years younger than me. I'm not sure. Um, but, uh, he Drew's into, uh, arcade games. Drew is into video games. Drew is into cosplay. Uh, he goes to convention. Actually, his whole family, I just saw a picture recently, his whole family had dressed up as characters from Spaceballs um, with the uh, the big giant white helmets, you know, the, the guys that were parody of Stormtroopers. They have costumes like that. Uh, Drew is a member of the official Ghostbusters uh, cosplay people. I mean, his, his costume is, uh, uh, you know, just absolutely perfect for Ghostbusters. Um, Drew also owns... Not one, but two 
replica Jurassic Park Jeeps and a Jurassic Park Ford Bronco. Uh, in fact, he purchased a video game console from me uh, six months ago and came by in his Jurassic Park Jeep. And it was absolutely, I mean, uh, you know, it's a Jeep just like any other Jeep. I mean, it just has paint and stuff. And, and uh, so it's not real. I mean, dinosaurs aren't real. <laughs> Um, but when you see it in your driveway, when you see this thing up person, you're like, oh my gosh, it's a Jurassic Park Jeep. It looks so great. And Drew is the type of person that will spend a lot of time and a lot of money on details that nobody else would notice. While he was in my driveway, uh, he spent 15 minutes pointing things out saying, you know, uh, these fog lamps are held on with screws uh, or bolts that are hexagonal or hexagonal uh, tops, but they're supposed to be round and, and just details like that. Uh, in fact, he said that his Jeep was more accurate than some of the earlier Jeeps because when people uh, built the earlier Jeeps, they used VHS tapes uh, as their reference material. And now with DVD and with Blu-ray, uh, you can pause the movie and get much more detail. And so, um, but, uh, if you remember from Jurassic park where they would get inside the Ford Bronco and it plays the video and all that, his Broncos does that. I mean, it, 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 he's really, really a neat guy. And so, um, when he told me he was interested, I, he, I know he bought some of my other cabinets, but this one specifically, I remember, and I do believe that he ended up loaning this cabinet to a local comic book store. Uh, and, and so, uh, they have some sort of arrangement. I don't, I don't know if it's set to take coins or if it's on free play. Um, but, uh, when he told me he was interested in it, I thought that's, that's a good person for this to go to. And so I had no, uh, regrets in selling that cabinet, uh, to Drew. I looked up this cabinet on the Exidy arcade price guide, and it says current value for an X-Men four player cabinet, 1000 plus is what it says. I could not find an X-Men four-player cabinet that has sold recently on eBay, but I did find a PCB, and this is the actual sold price for $810. Um, this game has become very popular with collectors. Uh, if I do have any regrets, it's not I regret selling it to Drew because it went to a good home, but uh, I could have made a lot of money on a lot of my games if I had hung on to them uh, for a few more years. Um, now, the one thing that has affected slightly, I believe, the overall value of the X-Men cabinet is that the one-up arcade, if you've seen these slightly scaled down uh, arcade cabinets that you could purchase for your home, uh, one-up arcade has released a four-player X-Men cabinet, and it retails for $649, which is a lot of money for a cabinet that you can buy at Kohl's or Target and take home and assemble. Um, so everything is a little bit smaller, smaller monitor, smaller cabinet, a little bit smaller control panel, but it is a dedicated four-player uh, X-Men game. So if you're uh, not uh, completely sold on spending thousands of dollars, but you want that four player uh, X-Men experience, then the one up arcade version might be the one for you. Uh, would I buy this game again? I'm going to say no, but it's a soft. No, if it were the right price, I probably would. Um, the reality is I would have rather had a teenage mutant Ninja Turtles cabinet or a Simpsons cabinet. In fact, when I bought the sunset riders 
four-player cabinet. Uh, I always thought about buying those other PCBs and swapping them in. So um, I the X-Men game, I don't have any complaints about the gameplay. Again, the attract mode, the introduction, the music, the sound, uh, everything on the game was uh was really good. I really enjoyed all that stuff. It's just that I don't really have that sentimental attachment to the actual franchise uh, of the X-Men. And so I would look for one of those other ones uh, before I bought the X-Men again. Don't forget new episodes of Cactus Flax are released on the fourth week of each month. The next episode game that I will be covering is Defender. And boy, will you be surprised when you hear that episode. <laughs> you can find all my podcasts, including previous episodes of Cactus Flax, over at podcast.robohara.com. You can subscribe to this show through iTunes or through the Amigos Retro Gaming feed, which is available at anchor.fm forward slash Amigos Podcast. If you'd like to see pictures of all my old arcade games, including this one, visit robohara.com forward slash arcade to experience a very outdated web archive. If you have feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can email me directly at robohara at robohara.com. Join the conversation over on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash robcast. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord or leave a message on my podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. To support my podcast, visit my Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. All of my patrons get access to behind-the-scenes blog posts, weekly rando Rob videos, access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, and other additional perks. Support starts at just $4 a month. That is $1 per show each month. To find out more, visit patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. Thanks again for listening to Cactus Flax. Don't forget your tokens, and we'll see you here next time in the arcade. Finally, this podcast would not be possible without the support of Patreon listeners like these. For my 8-bit supporters, that includes Alan Hennessy, Alan Hudgens, Armadon Restel, Brian Barr, Chris Folds, C-Dubs, Cowbird Boy, Dan Paradroid Heavey, Daniel Jaleffa, Dave Velociraptor, Dave Zilly, Happy Birthday Dave, David Hearn, David Modelak, Eric Stryanisi, Extent to the Jam, Gabe DeGenero, Garrett Elier, Gary Heather, Hacker Radio, Jake Nonamaker, Jason Warns, John Bodakar Schaller, John Treholt, Jose Cazada, Joshua Eckroth, Mark Alley, Matthew Perron, Mike McLaughlin, Mitsuyama, Mr. Bundy, Nathan Dagenhart, Olav Hope, Patrick Markey, Paul Morano, Petzl, Rad Max, Rydar and Christopher Bow, Retro Trace, Robbie Ray, Robot Doctor 82, Scott Lambert, Scott Meredith, Scrap Arcade, Stephen Burt, Steve Rasmussen, The Slow Norris, Travis Gossie, Zeke Papsky, Zerfall, and The Mysterious Cobra Kai. And for my 16-bit supporters, Bill Spear, Boatshead Tavern BBS, Dan Creek, Drone Doctor, Edward Smith, Graham Vebke, Joe Sharippa, John Morrison, Matt Nicholson, Matt Smith, Michael Ryan, Paul Nermix Nermanen, Rick Reynolds, 
John, Hudson, Mackay, and Scott Van Drasick, Steve Sharippa, Vintage Volts, Zyke, and Mr. Wacky. 